New Thinking Aloud, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring magicians, psychics, and skeptics. We'll be looking at C.K. Chesterton's first play called Magic and Ingmar Bergman's 1958 movie, The Magician, based on that play. And we'll be comparing these two wonderful works of literature with the fascinating and controversial case of thoughtography, psychic photographs produced by a Chicago bellhop named Ted Sirios, who was supervised or researched by the psychoanalyst Jewel Eisenbud of Denver. My guest, Dr. Richard Reichbart, also a psychoanalyst, was originally a psychoanalytic patient of Dr. Eisenbud's. Dr. Reichbart is a fellow, past president, and president-elect of the Institute for Psychoanalytic Training and Research in New York. He is the author of the Paranormal Surrounds Us, Psychic Phenomena in Literature, Culture, and Psychoanalysis. He's based in New Jersey, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Richard. I'm very happy to be with you once again. And I'm delighted to be with you, Jeff, and to get an opportunity to talk more about my work in parapsychology parapsychology and literature. We're going to be looking at uh, the film, The Magician by Ingmar Bergman, who's one of my favorite film directors of all time, along with the play Magic by C.K. Chesterton that was actually formed the basis for that film. And these are two wonderful works of literature and we'll be uh, toward the end of our conversation, applying the lesson, the lessons learned from those two stories to the real-life case of Ted Sirios, uh, in which you were, uh, I suppose, at least peripherally a witness. Yes. Uh, and, and the connection between the magician and uh, the work that Eisenberg was doing with Ted Sirios was pointed out to me in, in, in passing by Eisenberg, who made at one point some reference to the magician. I had no idea subsequently I would write about the magician in reference to Eisenberg's work and, and how poignant the connection uh, is. Well, there's a, a real sense of irony in both the play magic and the film, The Magician, in that you have actual real psychic phenomena going on, but and you have skeptics who think it's all phony baloney, and at the same time pressure on on the psychics to pretend that it's actually just ledger domain, magic tricks. That's the connection between magic and, and the magician. And and Bergman adapted his film uh in striking ways from magic when I first saw The Magician, which appeared in the 1950s, uh, 60s, I guess. 58, actually. 58, <laughs> thank you. Uh, at the time of uh, Seven Seal and Wild Strawberries, Smiles of a Summer Night, uh, I had no idea that The Magician uh, took its origin from magic, which is a play which 
Bergman directed, Bergman began as a play director, not as a filmmaker, uh, in uh, 1947. He directed Magic at, at uh, Gottsberg, Sweden, and then subsequently wrote and directed the the uh, a kind of adaptation in the sense of of magic in in the magician uh, originally called in in swedish the face uh, but i had no idea of this connection at all until i started to do this research and I think another interesting piece of the puzzle is that Chesterton, who was known as a, a great writer at the time, was provoked to write his very first play by George Bernard Shaw. I'm going to quote what Shaw wrote to him uh, because it's, it's, it's very humorous. They were good friends, although they did not necessarily agree on things. Uh, and he wrote, and this is where the play uh, Magic came uh, came from, he wrote to, uh, uh, to Chesterton invoking him to please write a play. He had never written a play before. I shall repeat my public challenge to you, he said to Chesterton. Vaunt my superiority. Insult your corpulence. Chesterton was about 300 pounds uh, in weight. Uh, if, if necessary, steal your wife's affections by intellectual and athletic displays until you contribute to the British drama, with the result that in 1913, Chesterton wrote Magic. Well, the interesting thing is it was performed in Sweden, of all places. Yes, it's, it's fascinating. It's not only fascinating, but not only did Bergman uh, direct it, but when he proceeded to write an adaptation or, or a takeoff from magic, it was clear that he was very familiar with uh, mesmerism in the time of mesmerism because he transformed it to that time and clearly knew a great deal about what had happened during that time. Well, let's uh, go into the story of uh, the original play, Magic. B before we do, let me also add... Chesterton was actually fascinated by psi phenomena, by parapsychology, which is why he wrote this, uh, this play. And uh, he had, as a young man, fooled around with a Ouija board and, and gotten results which, which shook him up so much that he was a little scared and wasn't too sure if it was, if it was because of psi phenomena in and of itself or if he was touching on the work of the devil. Uh, he, he was a religious man and became a religious man. Uh, but he was fascinated and fascinated by the study of, of parapsychological phenomena. And he was also very suspicious of scientists who tried to study it. He, he had the idea that a psychic was not going to perform in the way a scientist might want him to perform. And he also was very concerned that people would, in, in looking at mediums and, and their practices, would, would make the mistake of, of saying because there was false mediumship at times, uh, there was no such thing as actual psychic phenomena. And I'd like to read one thing he said, which, which is rather famous. He said, a false ghost, a false ghost disproves the reality of a ghost as much as a forged banknote disproves the existence of the Bank of England. He was very, so, so when he wrote this play, he was really addressing 
those kind of issues, scientists who, who were trying so hard to corral psi phenomena and people who were saying that psi phenomena didn't exist because there were false mediums. Anyhow, he set a play in the home of a duke, uh, who, a wealthy duke, who had as, his, as, as guests uh, a, a reverend, a local reverend, a local doctor, the niece of, of, of the duke, the nephew of the duke, and then invited, invited to his home a conjurer with the hope of the conjurer would show some psi phenomena to the audience. But these participants watching the, what the conjurer does are very, very skeptical and proceed to uh, attack what the conjurer is doing and saying all of it is false. Is, is completely false and trickery uh, at, at work. The conjurer himself is upset about his, his abilities because he feels like perhaps they are, as Chesterton thought of his own, uh, when psychic things happen, they're kind of dark powers. The, on the other hand, the beautiful niece is very taken with the conjurer, but her idea of psychic phenomena is it all has to do with fairies and, and, and very light and mystical, wonderful, wonderful things. But these, the reverend and the doctor, and also the, there's a nephew there, an American nephew, taunt the conjurer, and, and particularly the, the nephew, who's American, taunt the conjurer and say, this isn't true. You, you, and, and when he, if a table moves, they say, you, you did it for this, in this way or that way. And finally, the conjurer can't take it anymore, and he proceeds to turn a distant light in, in the garden of this house, distant light, they're all looking at it, and he turns it from red to blue, which the American uh, skeptic who's there, who's, who's the nephew of, of, of the Duke, cannot explain in the way he's tried to explain these other things, and really shakes him. And he's a little mentally unstable, shakes him to the extent that he gets depressed and takes to his bed, which frightens the Duke, it's his nephew, and frightens the other people there who see him in his bed and see his, and, and frightens the doctor who proceeds to try to treat him because he's been so shaken by this conjurer seemingly to turn the red light in the garden to blue. In, in Shakespeare, there was the occurs in Richard III where there was this psychic, supposed psychic ability to turn lights blue. So maybe, maybe in some way Chesterton was familiar with that. Nonetheless, there's, there's the American in bed suffering from depression because he's seen something that he thinks is psychic. What does the Duke do and the doctor do? And this beautiful niece, they appeal to the conjurer to con to to tell this 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 nephew that it was really a trick that it, it wasn't psychic phenomena it was really a trick and to please convince him that it wasn't psychic phenomena it was a it was a uh, some kind of trick and that way maybe he will feel better and maybe he will not be so depressed so they all appeal to him and very reluctantly he figures out a way of convincing the nephew that really it, it wasn't what was a trick. He shouldn't believe that it was really psychic phenomena. So everybody, representatives of society, a, a duke, a, a, 
uh, doctor are all convinced that it was just a trick. And, 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 and I write about this in, in my book where I say the fear of psi phenomena experienced by societal representatives is so great that they insist at the, ex at the expense of truth uh, upon a magical sleight of hand explanation instead of a psi, a psi phenomena explanation. And the niece, who's very fond initially of the conjurer, is then taken aback that he has such a dark sense of what psi phenomena might, might be about. Uh, but it, it's a beautifully done play, which to this day is sometimes acted in, in, in modern times. But from this, you would not expect to get to the magician. But Bergman proceeded to, to convert it to something similar, but often uh, very different in many ways. I mean, Bergman is truly a master, not that Chesterton wasn't, but I, I gather Chesterton's work was perhaps more lighthearted and Bergman d d delved more into darker themes in The Magician. He did. The Magician is, takes place in, in the time of, of Mesmer, which is actually where the study of psi phenomena occurred because when people were mesmerized, they proceeded to seem to have uh, psychic connections to people at a distance. One of the things that happened during those times is people would try to mesmerize somebody, not right there, like you would hypnotize somebody right here. I would, might hypnotize, try to hypnotize somebody if I, if, if I was a hypnotist right there. But they would hypnotize people at a distance. They would say, okay, I'm going to hypnotize Joe, and Joe is Joe doesn't know I'm going to do it, but I'm over this room, and Joe's in another room, and I hypnotize him at a distance. Or they would silently give a person who was hip hypnotized uh, directions without saying them verbally, and the person would do them. So, so there was a mixture of psi phenomena taking place at the same time as people were mesmerized or hypnotized. And during that time, people who were followers of Mesmer would, would travel uh, around the country doing their mesmeric feats at times. And all of this also was within the rubric of trying to help, help people and heal people. So, and what Bergman does is, is create Vogler's Magnetic Health Theater, and he has this little troupe of people traveling from town to town doing mesmeric uh, uh, activities uh, and performing, in effect. Uh, and just like in, in magic, a, a, uh, a consul by the name of Edgerman invites friends over. He involves a medic, medical examiner, Vegerus, and he invites the chief of police to his house, wealthy, wealthy home, and he says, okay, I'm going to invite Mr. Vogler, the, the mesmerist, to the home to perform. And of course, these m members of society are as skeptical as the members of society were in, in Chesterton's drama, Magic. So Vogler arrives at the house. It's Vogler and his wife, who you don't realize at, at first, is, is, it's really uh, uh, his, his wife is, is, is dressed as a man who's an assistant and his grandmother, who is an actual, uh, is also psychic uh, and has psychic ability also to move tables and to do other things, but who isn't 
involved as much in the activities of the theater, and and a kind of barker by the name of Tubal, who, who advertises to the public uh, uh, the work of, of Vogler, this magician. And so Vogler performs in, in front of these people, but these people attack him merc mercilessly, just mercilessly. And in order to kind of deal with the attack, what Amanda, the, the wife, does, and, and finally, is, is she says to the person who's attacking the medical examiner, who's the worst of the attacks, she says, she finally says, yes, you're right, it's all a fraud. You know, we're, we're making all this up, it's all a fraud, stop attacking us, you're making this up. And, and they really humiliate Vogler. And at the end, you think that's the end, because carriages arrive that seem to be coming release carriages and seem to be coming and you think Vogler and his troop is going to be arrested but in fact the police and the carriages that arrive are there because the king now wants to see Vogler perform so it ends in this kind of uh, sudden change where, where Vogler is not arrested but he, he goes off to perform before the king. During this time, one of the things that Vogler does as, as a mesmerist is he proceeds to hypnotize the wife of the chief of police, who's, who, who then proceeds to tell the most uh, terrible things about, uh, secret things about the, the activities of the chief of police, uh, uh, ugly things that, that he, he, he has done, but, but the representatives of society pretend that that didn't happen uh, and that mesmerism really doesn't exist and it's all a fraud. It's nice to be able to trace how somebody as, as brilliant as Bergman, really how he fashioned his craft in such a, 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 a moving and, and vivid way using the, the drama uh, that Chesterton 50 years before proceeded to uh, 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 right, uh, uh, but it, it, there's more to this story, as as you as you know, and the very idea that society would prefer things to be fraud, uh, explainable as trickery, than to recognize that something is psychic or parapsychological, uh, applies to Eisenbud's work himself in 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 the 1960s. Uh, uh, and, and 70s with uh, Ted Serios, which is where this takes us. In, in all of these cases, with Eisenbud and with the two fictional works, you have merciless criticism coming from the, the, the skeptics who just cannot abide the idea that there might be something authentic to uh, psychic phenomena. That is exactly right, and that's what's so striking to me. And I hate to say it, but I actually think in some ways this applies to the way parapsychology has dealt with, with the Serios phenomenon and Eisenberg, and I get a lot of pushback about that. But I do think the data from Eisenberg's material with Ted Serios is unimpeachable and is absolutely fascinating, but tends to be ignored by parapsychologists who prefer such things as remote viewing or things like that, and who have unfortunately, I believe, uh, tended to uh, side with those who think 
that uh, who, who who contend that uh, the Serious phenomena was was fraud or it was not sufficiently investigated, uh, which I don't think is true. Well, I think it's not just Sirios. I think that that applies across the board to macropsychokinesis in all of its manifestations, whether it's physical mediumship in a seance or my work with Ted Owens, the PK man controlling the weather and other large scale phenomena or Uri Geller spoon bending. Uh, all of these things frighten people terribly. And maybe there are some good reasons why uh, people are frightened. As, as a psychoanalyst, uh, you probably have, uh, you know, come upon the, the various fears that people have. I mean, we used to burn witches at the stake. Oh, you are so right, Jeff. I, I, I just, I, I, uh, I, love, I love what you just said. I, I think you're absolutely right. It is a problem in, in psychoanalysis. Psychoanalysis is, and I've written about this, is based on the idea if you have aggressive wishes or death wishes, or, or uh, they're just wishes. And, and it, it's very important to separate them out from actions. And people are often ve feel very guilty or, uh, about their wishes and their, their wishes and they're harmless. But on the other hand, what if... Wishes are not just wishes, and that is a conundrum that I, as a psychoanalyst and psychoanalysts in general, do not quite know what to do with, um, uh, because our whole way of curing people is to say, "Look, it's a wish. Don't, don't, no, it, you, you didn't do anything. Why, why do you feel so guilty for having it?" Uh, and uh, it's it's a real conundrum, and it's what Eisenberg tried to address. I don't think anybody has quite solved it, but I do think it's the kind of thing that uh, did lead, did lead to witch burning, and in certain societies, because I've written about this about uh, uh, Native Americans about about the Navajo, uh, uh, the, the Navajos, they do believe in witchcraft. It's actually put into their laws, uh, which we wouldn't. We, we don't do, and uh, they do believe in the ability to use psi phenomena, not just for, for wonderful things, uh, uh, for healing, for example, but also for, for aggressive wishes, and it's part of the way in which their culture, uh, their, their culture attempts to uh, deal with it, but it does accept the existence of witches uh, in, their, in their society. Well, and there are also anthropological accounts of uh, hexing and cursing and uh, the, the negative use of, of psi. I know uh, the anthropologist uh, Ronald Rose has written a book about uh, a ritual known as pointing of the bones, which is a death curse. And he uh, documents a case in which... Uh, the, the death curse was uh, performed against an individual who was in another country, and uh, that person mysteriously died suddenly. See, that is that is what is so frightening. You're absolutely right. That is so frightening, and uh, uh, and that's and, and and that's why I think that even parapsychologists have trouble uh, accepting certain side phenomena.
Parapsychology is not going to become more widely accepted until our culture evolves to a point where, where we can integrate the potential harmful uses of it and, and come to a kind of reasonable, maybe reasonable is the wrong word, but uh, some sort of uh, accommodation of uh, the facts of the matter. I, I wish that your point of view were, were adopted by more parapsychologists. I think you're absolutely right. We don't know what to do with this phenomenon. Our, 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 our Western scientific culture has tended to, to deal with it by, by uh, denying it, its existence. Uh, the Native American culture tends to deal with it by accepting this existence, but then, it, then, then you get uh, what feels to us very much like paranoid thinking once 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 you think in that way a cultural kind of fear that 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 also does not quite deal with it entirely so we have not figured it out and i think you're perfectly right parapsychological phenomena is not going to be accepted until the society in general can can accept can accept the uh, aggressive nature of psi now, I encountered quite a bit of this in my 10-year study of uh, the PK man, a fellow named Ted Owens, who used to perform, uh, well, I have in my files 168 demonstrations of large-scale psychokinesis. And it didn't work about a third of the time. About two-thirds of the time, it did work. And he, he would, uh, in effect, do harmful things and sometimes directed at me. Uh, I think that the best way to address this kind of phenomenon is to treat it with great respect, even uh, e even if it has a criminal nature. In fact, I tend to think that even criminals deserve to be treated with respect, <laughs> put in jail, but uh, but done respectfully. I have to read this, what you're talking about. Uh, I'm not familiar with Ted, but a, a different Ted. Uh, Ted Serios did not, did perform a psychic phenomena. Not, uh, I don't think there's any indication of aggressive side, uh, but was equally, because it was so, I think, convincing, uh, was equally not accepted uh, uh, as, as, as being a... Uh, 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 veridical being true and and was attacked as being fraud in the most egregious ways in the most ridiculous ways it was attacked as fraud and was then accepted as fraud by many parapsychologists and by scientists in general based on the flimsiest really the flimsiest of, of accusations by people who were not parapsychologists and not scientists but who who, who gain public attention and it, it's really a it, it, it's it's a shame and the interesting thing is the data which involves Polaroid prints the data still exists the data is there not not when it took place but the prints are still there which are cannot be reproduced by any a sleight of hand means, and they're sitting there in a, a library at the University of, of Maryland, all, all 400 of them, uh, to be looked at by any anybody, any parapsychologist, and they have uh, images that could not possibly be reproduced by any sleight of hand, but they are generally ignored. 
I, I suppose another part of the problem is that uh, Ted Sirios himself, uh, his career peaked and then it sort of dropped off. I think by the time you had an opportunity to witness a performance of uh, his thoughtography, uh, the the results were rather minimal. Oh, the, the results were minimal. They dropped off. He, he was able to produce images for a period of time and they stopped as a result of his being attacked, really, uh, at least that's what it seems to be. But they uh, they stopped, and all he could do was get what were called whiteies or blackies, which are not don't have the same effect as as images. So if he shot the film, some rather than a picture of, of you coming out, it would be completely black, or, or it did it again, it would be completely white, and and that didn't have. Uh, it, it may have been. It's probably just. It may have been just as parapsychological, just as side produced, but you can't convince anybody based upon that. But l- let me say, he he produced 400 prints in three years, and he did it before. I'm I'm going to do this just to give you an idea when you juxtapose it with the way in which he was ridiculed and and said to be fraudulent subsequently. He, he produced these in front of 14 professors at the University of Colorado Medical School d- uh, during visits to Eisenbach's home, uh, a, a physicist from the National Center for Atmospheric Research, a chief of research at the Veterans Administration Hospital in Denver, a professor of botany, a professor of astronomy. Serios had, Serios was, was fascinated by buildings, so he tended to, to, to produce pictures of uh, uh, when, when he tried to put an image on film, he, he, he produced pictures of buildings uh, of, of various uh, of various kinds. Uh, but he he was using, I guess you have to be a certain age to remember what Polaroid film used to be like. But there was a squeegee that you 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 rubbed the the film with after it was produced, and it had it had a little plastic uh, cylinder, two. very small, two a two right. And he tended to to look through this tube. Uh, now all the prints were not done like that, but sometimes he would he, he would be be using that, and, and when he was looking and and when he was looking at the camera, and people would contend, the skeptics, oh he had he had a film in there, he had a uh, he had something in there, and 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 this this squeegee this tube meant that he was committing fraud. Nobody. All the wonderful magicians who sometimes claim this, nobody could reproduce what he did. I mean, if 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 you if if, if it could be done that way, you should be able to do it as a magician. If if you're going to debunk it, nobody could do it, uh, including we'll get into this, including James Randi, Randi, who who, uh, uh, who who said it could be done, and Eisenbach, who said, "I'll pay you." I think it was two hundred fifty thousand dollars if if you can show if you'll take up if you'll do it or, or some amount of money. He, he never he never did it. Nonetheless, and for that matter, Serios was not always the one in front of the camera. It was somebody. His camera was a someplace else. Somebody else was taking the picture. It it it, 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 it wasn't necessary to produce these four hundred prints. Nonetheless. The skeptics ended up convincing people, supposedly, that that's the way Serios produced these prints, which, uh, which to me is bizarre. That that 
because they only had a two-hour session with uh, Serios once. Uh, and from that, all the work of all these scientists and, and the years of work of Eisenberg uh, with Serios uh, just disappeared from, in general, from, uh, from the parapsychological literature and, and, and from the world. Although the prints, as I say, are lying, uh, uh, you, you can see them uh, uh, at, at the University of, of, of Maryland at, at, at Baltimore. They're still there. Well, my best guess is there are probably a dozen or more people right now at this moment who have abilities similar to that of Ted Sirios, and they're probably smart enough not to try and present their work to the scientific community because the results would likely be very similar to that of Sirios and, and Eisenbud himself, a brilliant psychoanalyst, had his reputation ruined as a result of the good work he did. I, I think you may well be right. You know, what is, to show you how difficult this is, when Serios, before Eisenberg uh, met Serios, Serios was, was, was trying to do some of these activities and, and seemed to be getting results, uh, but was very upset about the whole thing. So he proceeded to go, somebody said, you should go to a psychiatrist. I mean, this, this sounds kind of crazy. So he went to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist proceeded to convince him that, it, that, 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 that this was all a delusion on his part. So Serios then proceeded to, to, to destroy the prince <laughs> because he was convinced it was a delusion. But the delusion, I guess, wouldn't go away. His abilities did, and, and he, he ended up continuing. But the point is, it's so, so difficult to believe that this actually exists. Even I myself sometimes say, did I really have, did I really even write this? Did I even have these experiences? Uh, do I even have these experiences as, as a psychoanalyst where there are telepathic exchanges between me and a patient? It's, it's very, it's much easier in some ways and more comforting to say, oh, the, the, the world, this is, this is magical thinking. This is not, this does not happen. And, and the world seems to be, uh, less uh, confusing and less dangerous if you do so. Well, I think you quote a line, uh, I'm pretty sure it's from Chesterton, in, in which they're talking to the magician. I think it's the one who turned the light from red to blue. And uh, one person says to him, gee, I wish I could believe it was real. And the magician responds by saying, I wish I could disbelieve. That's exactly what happens. And the person who says... The person who says, I wish I could believe it is real, is the reverend. But Chesterton, Chesterton too, was brilliant to, to, be able to, to be able to see these, these, these uh, wonderful contradictions with which we, we, we have to live. The people who came for that two-hour session in, in 1967 to see Ted Serios were magicians. Uh, there, there were three of them. And as it happened, uh, Serios didn't produce anything that that day, nothing happened, which which, which can, could could frequently happen. Uh, so when they asked to look at the at, at the tube at the squeegee, he he got annoyed. He was he, he hadn't performed and, and 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 pocketed it, you know. But he hadn't produced anything, you know. He so they proceeded to say subsequently, well, maybe he had something something in there, and then they started to add to it. 
in, in, in other renditions of it. Well, I did see something there, but it was so. And they wrote an article, one article in Popular Photography, which proceeded to say, "Well, we we think we saw something," and that destroyed the uh, credibility. This one article in Popular Photography of a two-hour session uh, where they thought they saw something. Uh, and then subsequently, the person who profited from was James R Randi, who subsequently got uh, the, uh, the Genius Award from... MacArthur Foundation, yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and he actually did some good work in debunking some people. But if you read his book, in his book where he debunks, uh, also debunks serials, Flim Flam, also the name of Flim Flam is Psychics, ESP, Unicorns, and Other Delusions, which is in itself is a, is, is a terrible attack. He says of parapsychology and parapsychologists, uh, simple little minds, silly, delusions. You'll never be a parapsychologist at that rate. Isn't parapsychology parapsych just grand folks? The sign nuts. Any parapsychologist will hesitate to look too carefully. Uh, the irrationality of his kind, inane, preposterous, non-existent are the powers of Serios and the object, object, objectivity of those who investigate him. Naivete, duped, Eisenbitter will carry his delusions with him to the grave. And it goes on and on like that. Why anybody would take this two hours and, and the attacks of James Randi as the truth is really beyond me. I could understand if somebody was was as careful as Eisenberg and did as much research and, and 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 then came up with the idea that perhaps this didn't exist. But to to take these magicians and Randy as as gospel is really beyond me. But this has attached as well to Eisenberg not as he, as a parapsychologist, but as a psychoanalyst. If you think psychoanalysts are reading the world of Ted Serios written by Eisenbud or reading the research. No, they're listening to James Randi or they're, they're listening to, to, to popular and, 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 and they have written off Eisenbud entirely. It was bad enough that Eisenbud was dealing with telepathy in, in psychoanalytic, psychoanalytic treatment, but that he then should come up with investigating Ted Serios and his parapsychological phenomena and his uh, his his uh, photographs uh, just confirmed their idea that he that Eisenberg had really uh, gone off the, the deep end. Well, I suppose the question is whether human culture can ever evolve beyond this present conundrum that that we're in. It may be that. Uh, it's hardwired into us. After all, we're, we are primates that, that we're never going to be able to deal in a, in a more uh, practical, efficient way with, with these kinds of talents. But on the other hand, maybe at some future point in a thousand years or 10,000 years, human civilization will move beyond this present stage. I hope you're right, although I must tell you, I guess things that the current state of, of human existence uh, 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 doesn't encourage one. Uh, but I, I've written the same thing as you've just said. Uh, I, I think it will be a thousand, you know, be that hundreds of years before we're able to to accept this phenomenon. I hope, 
I, I hope the Serios data will continue to, to exist so other people can, can, can use it and understand it. I hope we're able to integrate uh, the aggressive aspects of psi into our study of psi phenomena. But I, I agree with you. I see no, I see no indication that anything in the foreseeable future is going to change. It, it will continue to be sidelined uh, and not accepted uh, until the culture is able to somehow accept this. And, and I don't know if we do accept it, what we do exactly. I, I write about this and, and I, I don't know, uh, you mentioned criminal things. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how it will be accepted. Uh, I, you know, how it will be integrated into our understanding of, of psychology, of, of, of aggression in general, of, of what we're responsible for. I mean, can, can you proceed to do what the Navajos do and, and try to uh, uh, punish people who, who, who practice aggressive psi? Uh, and how would you do that? I mean, you know, the, the, the Western culture solution, which is to ignore it, to proceed to, to, to say it doesn't exist and, and that it's only the only way you can hurt somebody is through, I guess you can do it through psychological means to some extent, but, but you can't do it through parapsychological means or through physical means. You can do it, but, but not parapsychological. And, and maybe that's, that's a, the best way of, dealing with things for the present. I, I don't know. But it, you are asking the questions which it seems to me parapsychologists are loath to ask. They would prefer to continue to do their research without recognizing uh, how, how loaded this, this area is and why it is that people will not accept their very good research. Uh, uh, you know, why won't they accept remote viewing? Why won't why won't scientists in general accept side data? And they keep on avoiding the issue that you've brought out, which is if you accept it, you have to accept the fact that people are not necessarily going to be doing things for just altruistic or, or wonderful or healing. They're going, to, they're going to be doing it for for what human beings are capable of in general, which is being aggressive. So until parapsychologists begin to struggle with this, I don't think anything more will happen than has been happening at present, which is it, it will be sidelined and, 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 and you know, circumscribed, and, you know, nothing will take place. So for the time being, uh, we still have the opportunity to study these cases historically. And uh, fortunately, the Sirios collection of photographs has been archived at the University of Maryland and uh, it's available. And uh, uh, there's a, a great deal, an enormous uh, amount of information available from the archives of parapsychology and psychical research. And, and my archive at New Thinking Allowed is growing uh, as well. So I guess uh, we just have to continue and be patient. Will your archive end up at a university? Well, I can't say that, but it's archived on YouTube at the moment. But I think it's I think it's wonderful. I, I hope it ends up being being preserved. I think it's wonderful. The second thing is Stephen Broad and Eisenbutt's son uh, Eric are responsible for getting the archive at the University of, of, of Maryland, and, and he should be, get, be given credit. In fact, I have an interview with him, Stephen Browdy. 
Rowdy, is, is that is that? <laughs> and and I should let our our viewers know the correct pronunciation of your name is not Reichbart, as I've been mispronouncing it uh, through three interviews now. It's Reichbart. Oh, isn't that a wonderful segue? <laughs> that is wonderful. I do have a third point. In these photographs, there would be pictures of not only of, of things that exist, but things that existed from the past that weren't photographed. There'd be changes of buildings in ways or, or statues in ways that could not possibly exist. It's not that the pictures would be pictures of actual things. Everything would be be uh, rearranged. It's not that the photographs are the kind of photographs that you would expect. That there would be stones where there were bricks. Uh, in, in in reality, there would be striations that did not exist on the buildings. Everything suggested that that these photographs are thought of photographs. They're not just photographs that you could ordinarily produce. So that's why that particular collection is so important to look at it and 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 to, to preserve. Well, Richard Reichbart, what a pleasure to have this conversation with you and, and to finally let our viewers know the correct pronunciation of your name. Richard, thank you so much for being with me. Jeff, thank you so much for that. And, and I learned a great deal from you. Thank you so much. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us.